I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello and welcome to the third ever Wattie and Jack on F1 podcast. Coming up in this episode... We discuss Max Verstappen and team orders. Yeah, Max is uncompromising. Which is part of maybe what the attraction for race fans and spectacular on television. Some of Roman Grosjean's cooking. Well, where's the spatial awareness? Is he, what's he thinking about his next recipe? <laughs> well, I, well, I make a lobster thermidor, but I just haven't grilled simply and plainly. And in general, a thrilling Azerbaijan Grand Prix. I think a very exciting Grand Prix, a very controversial Grand Prix. Incidents, you know, going on throughout the race. Flog them, flog them, flog them. So a very exciting Azerbaijan Grand Prix. A lot to talk about, but it all kind of hinged on on one incident, didn't it? Daniel Ricciardo trying to pass Max Verstappen, and they crashed. There we go. End of story. What, what, well, what is there to discuss? I think a very exciting Grand Prix, a very controversial Grand Prix incidents you know going on throughout the race i mean the, the thing that really got me was what was that airhead Roman Grosjean doing on his own behind the virtual or the behind the safety car having his own accident and he almost apparently blamed another driver oh i think he hit me well when the review of the footage came out he was on his own i mean am i i, mean, I think he should stay just stick writing books about cookery <laughs> and you know he's a bit light in the head i don't know i just i just thought that was the weirdest thing i'd seen all weekend his excuse was when he was weaving the wheel he knocked a switch on the wheel which adjusted the brake balance so then when he hit the brakes he locked the rears and went into the wall well, where's the spatial awareness? Is he, what is he thinking about his next recipe? <laughs> well, I, well, I make a lobster thermidor while I just have it grilled simply and plainly. You know, what was going on in his head? You just don't accidentally knock a switch. You've, you've, you're aware of what you're doing. I mean, come on. Would I sign him again to stay with Haas? He may have a contract for 2019, but, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm unclear about it. He's a lovely guy, perfect dinner table conversationalist. Except he's not at the dinner table, he's in the kitchen. He's in the kitchen, but sometimes chefs, you know, they come out after they've created their wonderful dishes and and then sit back and and all the reflected glory and, you know, people saying, well, Romo, we think that you should have had a Chateauneuf du Pape with this heavy 
you know, the venison that you made, it needs not an airy-fairy Pinot Noir. Quite. Well, uh, and apparently his uh, cookbook is quite poorly translated into English and doesn't take into account, like, English fan others and stuff. So a friend of mine tried to make some um, macaroons with it, but it and it said you have to leave the oven door open a little bit. But that doesn't work in a fan oven because it just blew all the it just blew all the filling out. I mean, making macaroons is probably quite a trick in itself because they are quite tricky to make. Um, anyway, listen. What would the roast boeufs as the French? I know he's Swiss and all that, but really he's French. He speaks French. So what? Are, what? What do the roast beefs, which is what we are, know about fine cuisine? I don't know. But what, what about the uh, Rouge Bulls? Well, I mean, I mean what, a, what a platform for me to have a rant again. <laughs> I mean, first of all, FP1, an unguided missile, makes a mistake, puts his car on the barrier, loses the remaining part of FP1, misses part of FP2 while the car is being repaired. But for sure, when he got back into the car... You could see that he was looking for revenge with revenge with the racetrack. And the one thing that he does do, and it came through quick, pretty quickly and pretty clearly, he's, he understands how to put energy into a car. And sometimes on a circuit, a street track particularly, where drivers are having difficulty with getting the tyre and the track to, to marry together, Max managed to very quickly overcome that because he just energises the car so much. And as long as you've got the control, which he clearly has got, not all the time, but for a large percentage of the time, then you get tyre temperature, you get grip, and then you can go quickly. And so he quali- but he out- was out-qualified, actually, by Daniel Ricciardo, wasn't he? Which I think, for the first time this year, other than when he uh, crashed in out of qualifying in Bahrain, all the times Verstappen's finished qualifying he's out qualified ricardo until baku i would think everybody would agree that in in terms of out and out you know one lap close your eyes hold your breath max is going to be a tenth or two tenths quicker than daniel ricardo is but as i've said that how many jack how many times have i said you don't get any points for your grid position it's a bonus to be as near to the front as possible but then if you squander it all that effort you put into your qualifying is totally wasted. And a driver like Danny Ricciardo, who's a smart driver and understands, he makes the best of his qualifying speeds. Now, I don't know the individual reasons behind each of the, the Grand Prix this year that would justify his grid position, but he races exceptionally well. Danny understands, essentially, that winning a Grand Prix or making the best of your position, finishing in the points. A, a driver must really get the message, particularly when you're in a, a major team like Red Bull, that you're not racing for yourself, you are racing for your team. And a part of that is the responsibility of making the best result on the day that you can. But to do that, you have to finish. And to race, I consider what Max is doing is still racing as an individual, I don't know what radio traffic might have been carried out between the driver or the drivers, but clearly in that race, in in Baku, Ricardo was quicker in the race because he he caught Max a number of occasions. He overtook him on a number of occasions. And Max immediately responded by, you know, 
late brake manoeuvres into turn two in particular, coming out of turn one, clashed wheels. You know, that's not what you do if you want to finish as a team, maximising your potential on the day. And also, for your own individual points tally score, there are occasions where you may have to accept that your teammate or another competitor is that little bit quicker than you. And if you want to make these high-risk manoeuvres, you, you jeopardise your chances. Okay, if it's a competitive team member, that's a different matter. But if it's your own teammate, and as a consequence, and I feel that the consequence of the manoeuvre at the end of the straight, the responsibility for that was with Max because he was ahead. He was trying to defend. He went to the right as they came in, into the braking zone and then came back to the left when Danny had made his manoeuvre down the inside. At some point, somebody's got to get a message through that driving this uncompromising style that he feels is his image, maybe he feels that's what his race fans, the nation, the whole, the, the whole country of Holland and Benelux and whatever, they see him as being this new messiah in Formula One. But you can't criticise Verstappen and his risky overtakes with his teammate and say Daniel Ricciardo gets off scot-free because, he, you know, he was the one who did the risky manoeuvre on that occasion. Pulling the dummy is always a bit risky. You've got to have cooperation from the guy in front. You're doing 217 miles an hour. Ricardo's whole thing is based on his commitment, and he was committed to that when it, when it wasn't the right time to be committed to it. He can't be a, totally blameless, can he? Well, I suppose if you take it to its simplest context, the driver behind, if he runs into the car ahead, is considered the guilty party. Yeah. But that would be in normal driving context that we would know driving around the the horribly, irresponsibly, badly repaired roads in Oxfordshire. (laughs) But as I going into into the hairpin, sorry, into turn one, Max did make a move to block in anticipation of Ricardo going down the outside. So the dummy was sold and Max reacted to it. Actually, if Max had had maybe a little bit more thought, if in a nanosecond he made his mind up, if he had taken two nanoseconds, he would have stayed where he was. Because that's Ricardo's signature move, is the Absolutely. dummy. Absolutely. But, I mean, it's, 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 you know, it's pretty easy to, to do, in effect. Uh, but what Max maybe ought to have done is hold station on the left-hand side of the track, going into turn one, and then force Ricardo to go the long way around, which he had done previously, and he had done successfully. But we'd seen that Max was able to come back, as he did, clumsily banging wheels on the exit of turn one, but still retained his position. But he reacted, he went to the right, and then Danny immediately made the switch back, but in the process of making the switch back, then Verstappen came back. And it put Ricardo into a position where immediately that had happened, he would have lost a significant amount of downforce from the front of the car, which would have had an effect on the braking capacity. And he was sitting there almost as a passenger. There was not an awful lot he was going to be able to do because Max is hard on the brakes, Danny's having to be even harder on the brakes with a lot less front downforce, and he was put into a force majeure situation, which he didn't create. He created the opportunity for himself then it was denied by Max's move back to block him. If the door's closed, the door's closed. You, you, you can't well, go through. But then you go back to some of the rules and regulations and 
there has been uh, a slight you know change in emphasis because what's happening in 2018 is I think that the owners of Formula One Liberty are anxious that racing is the result you see on the racetrack is not going to be overturned hours later by interminable meetings with the race director, the race stewards and whatever. They want the race result to be the race result that you've seen on your screen at home or as a spectator at the racetrack. How often were you given a five second time penalty or a ten place grid drop for the next because of some collision on the track? How often did that did that ever happen in when you collision. were racing? I know Jack, you never collision. collided with anyone. Jack, come on. Okay, okay. Come on. But people collided with people. Were people ever penalised for that? I think there's a, the difference, I believe, is... I hate going back and sort of saying in the old days, but if you go back to the 70s and arguably into some of the 80s, there was probably a lot less of this, what I call Formula 3-style, aggressive movement on the racetrack. And, and Max was the one that was the obvious, if you like, person to focus upon. But there was Pierre Gasly coming in saying... You know, he thinks that Kevin Magnussen is the most dangerous driver he's ever raced against. Mm. And actually, having seen the replay of that incident, if that was malicious, then that's, that's a serious offence. What Max did was clearly done to stop Ricardo from sliding down the inside. What Max didn't realise, two things, was he should have stayed on the left-hand side and forced Ricardo the long way round. But secondly, by coming across the front of him at 200, and, well, I don't know what speed Daniel was doing, he would have had quite a significant benefit from DRS and the two. So he was probably travelling more quickly than Max was. And what compounded the whole situation was immediately Max comes back to the left. You then have Ricardo travelling at higher speed, suddenly losing downforce in the front, needing the distance to stop, and the distance wasn't there. Max is on the brakes, Ricardo's got nowhere to go, and the inevitable happened. Watty and Jack on F1. Watty and Jack on F1. Is it the driver's responsibility or the team's responsibility to to stop them crashing into each other? Because they are they're allowed to race at Red Bull. That's what you know. They're allowed to race. So if you're allowed to race, and they had no issues seemingly with the first, you know. Uh, 35 laps or whatever which was very for me watching anyway very enjoyable fun good pretty much clean racing a little bit of a touch on the exit of turn one but nothing too dramatic they were happy with that but then suddenly when they crash it's unacceptable if you're going to let them race you're opening yourself up for that aren't you well I I understand what Red Bull want to do they want their drivers to be free to race and I think that's a a very admirable desire on their part but when Max got overtaken on one occasion in turn one, he came out of the corner, banged wheels with a Ricardo on Ricardo's on the outside. You know, that's not what you do with your teammate. On another occasion, Danny gets ahead going into turn two, and Max makes a massive lunge down the inside, which with any other driver than Ricardo, that door would have been closed, and that other driver, whoever it might have been, and Max would have been out of the race. Ricardo has got, he's aware of what's going on on the racetrack. He allowed space on the exit of turn one when Max clumsily bumped into him at the exit of turn one. 
He also didn't shut the door going into turn two on another occasion, which, in my view, a competitive driver in another team might have done and taken out both two cars that have been taken out. You know, Max is uncompromising, which is part of maybe what the attraction for race fans and spectacular on television. But you've got to understand that you cannot constantly and continually expect everybody to get out of your way when you make these lunges. Or, in this instance, when he moved clearly to the right to, to try and block a manoeuvre by Ricardo going the long way around, then switched back when he saw Ricardo was going to go down the inside. There is a limit to what is acceptable. Giving these two guys the freedom to do as they want, you know, the Red Bull and its sister team have got a little bit of history in whether they can or cannot control what their two drivers are doing. And to some degree, it's, it's, it's authority from the pit wall that can have a bearing. And, you know, we were just looking this morning, I was just looking this morning, going back to that incident in Turkey with Mark Webber and, and, and uh, Sebastian Vettel. Vettel clearly moved across from the left-hand side of the track to the middle of the track where Webber was. Now, I don't know what was going on on the radio. That was going back to 2010. It's, well, there was it, some there was some team was orders, wasn't there? And you're not allowed. You're not going to be overtaken. And then he tried to overtake, I think. And but Vettel was going on the radio. I think oh, I'm. He's slowing me down. I'm so much quicker. When that was an immature and, and very lucky outcome that there wasn't a more serious incident. Mm. Then you go back to 2013 in Malaysia with Vettel again. Mark Webber's in the lead, and Vettel is being instructed on the pit wall to not overtake Mark Webber, and he goes and does it. I mean, I remember saying, I would take him out of the car, I would suspend him, I mean, having a little bit of mischievous fun. Yeah. But nevertheless, it goes back to control on the pit wall. And if you think back again with Max in Singapore 2015 in a Toro Rosso, Carlos Sainz was behind him, was obviously quicker, and he was being given an instruction from the pit wall, and he said, no, no, no. I mean... Hold on a second. Can somebody not grab hold of this kid and point out to him that if you get an instruction from your team principal, in this case it was probably Franz Tost via his race engineer, that this is what the team wants you to do for team interests, and you ignore that. You do it once, but continually do it. I mean, so is, is, hold on, is, no, let me finish this. Okay. Authority from the pit wall. And another example of where I believe a team, I suppose you might call Ross Braun a team principal at this time, at Mercedes-Benz, Malaysia 2013. Lewis is ahead of Nico Rosberg. Rosberg's on the radio saying, I'm quicker than Lewis, let me through, I want to pass. And Ross Braun, quietly but with authority, says, no, Nico, hold position. Do not pass. Now, that was broadcast. We heard it. I always believed that Ross Braun brought a number of qualities to his role within a team. And one of, those one of those rules was his ability to assert his authority over his drivers. And Nico did the right thing. He fell back in behind Lewis. Sort the thing out behind closed doors afterwards. But you know, I don't see that kind of authority being displayed. Certainly it wasn't being displayed in, in, uh, in Baku where it was pretty clear that Ricardo was able to close down uh, Max consistently over a number of periods in the race and was the quicker of the two drivers, in my view, in that Grand Prix. End of 2017, no, 2016, wasn't it? 
Nico Rosberg wins the championship. Lewis Hamilton in Abu Dhabi is backing the whole pack up so someone can try and overtake Nico Rosberg. Paddy Lowe comes over the radio. Lewis, you've got to go quicker. You've got to go quicker. And he says, no, I'm driving at the pace I want to drive. Do you slam Lewis Hamilton for doing that? Because that was a blatant ignoring of team orders. It yeah. Doesn't every driver ignore team orders when it suits them? I think that every driver will push the envelope as far as they can, but then they have to face the, the wrath of their team principal. Did you ever ignore team orders? Sorry? Did you ever ignore team orders? Jack, give me a break for good. Do you think I am? Do you think I'm an animal? Never. Never. The team said, you've got to do this, John. And you, you know, said, you know what? You know what, no. Jack? You, you, you're really showing your age. <laughs> because we had, we had sort of almost Morse code in our day. Or you might have a pit board. By the time you saw the pit board, and you might have conveniently not okay so there we go because all your focus was on (laughs) keeping this bloody car on the racetrack or you're challenging your teammate today a driver is very much more exposed because you cannot blink without it being recorded by television or by the team via whatever communications they choose to use it's much more difficult in these days to get away let's say with some of the strokes, and I'm not suggesting I ever carried out any of these strokes, but unquestionably some drivers did do. But it was very much more difficult to lay the blame at the foot of the driver unless both cars, as we saw explicitly into turn one towards the end of the Grand Prix in Baku, both cars out of the race, the team lost a shed load of points, both drivers lost points in their championship. For what? Because one guy was being so on-team-like in his defence of his position, he cannot at the minute understand or see the bigger picture. And I know, I know, on Friday evening at a function, it was mentioned some, in a converse, a general conversation. It was like, it just, he just gla- it glazed over him. Yeah, 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 you're right. Yeah, yeah, ah, 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 ah. Just didn't go in. And if it goes in, it comes back out as quickly as it went in. And I don't know why it's so hard for a guy who is, you know, take his dad. I mean, Yoss was super quick, not as bright as Max's, but Max is maybe trying to mimic his dad because it's, it's all these lessons are there for you to learn. And if you persist in doing what you think I know better than everybody else. All these other people who might come and offer me some advice. or I mean, God bless the poor kid. I mean, Sir Jackie Stewart would be gagging to give him some advice. And it would be good advice. But, you know, why would you want to listen to a man or listen to me? Jack, you're, what age are you now? You're 28, 28 29? Now, yeah. 20, I mean, look at you like, you know, you're not my generation. Yeah. You know, this is the problem. He's, he is 20 years of age. He is still immature in lots of senses. He's mega, mega quick. Got stunning car control. He's got all the things that you expect a driver in your team wish to have. But there's one element which he has yet to get control over, and that's get control over himself. But does he not need to assert himself as the number one driver within the team? Was there not a point to prove after China where everybody's waxing lyrical about how great Daniel Ricciardo is, how bad Max Verstappen is at racing. Does he not need to prove that he 
is the number one driver in that team because he's just been given a new multi-year... De- he is the number one, isn't he? Well, I think you've answered the question. I think part of the difficulty is that at the back end of 2017, either by circumstance or good fortune, but I think Team Verstappen played a blinder because they indicated that your Max is out of contract shortly and that there is potentially interest from the other two major Formula One teams, Ferrari and and, uh, Mercedes-Benz. And, you know, maybe, maybe Max could be persuaded to go and join one of those two teams. And the way that Red Bull reacted was they signed him on us. I don't know the figures. They're probably very large figures, which is a way of defining, in my view, the status of one driver over another. So if you're paying one driver for the future, 2018 forwards, significantly more than you're paying the joint number one driver, whatever you might have on a bit of paper, the driver that gets most money would assume that that's done because the team looked to him as being, is this the right, we think you are, Jack, you're the right guy. That's why we're, we're going to pay you so much because that's we why I want get, you. That's why I get more for this podcast than you do. Indeed, indeed. Yeah. But you need it more than me because you just got married, you've now got a dog, and <laughs> I don't know what else is on the way. No, 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 don't get bogged down in that. We're, 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 we're fine with that, we're fine with that. But were you ever in a scenario where you thought you were equal teammates and then as the season progresses you you know have like an epiphany oh you know maybe i'm not joint number one here i did and uh, i had it at brabham in 1978 and it was it was uh, an education and i was i mean i have to say i was naive so when Lauda joined brabham in 78 and prior to that bernie eccleston had asked me what my views were and i said i'm more than happy all I request is that we're given equal equipment at all points through the season. But then Nicky joins the team and he brought with him his own personal sponsor, which happened to be Parmalat, which became the team sponsor. So a combination of what Nicky brought with him, I mean, just having won the world championship in 77 and all the other commercial benefits, it gave him an advantage, put it that way. And, during the season, I went and spoke to Bernie about it and said, look, Bernie, you know, when we discussed this initially, you assured me that we'd always have equal equipment and whatever, whatever. I don't feel at the minute I'm getting whatever it was. It was, I think it was a number of reliability issues. And Bernie dealt with it in a very Bernie way, which is another story. But it was an indication of, you know, Lauda came into the team. And apart from all the qualities that he brings with him, as a driver, uh, with the knowledge that he had for many years at Ferrari, he had that commercial aspect as well. And, and Nicky knows extremely well how to manipulate that to his advantage. Look, anybody in that situation would do the same thing. But it was, I was, so I, I was put on the back foot in a sense. And I would imagine, I don't know, but I would imagine that maybe Danny Ricciardo is also feeling, there's nothing that's tangible. I mean, I think that, Red Bull prepare their two cars totally equally. Mm. But, you know, when there is a set of bodywork, for example, or mechanical components, these are all, in spite of being made now to tolerances which are, compared to my period, I mean, night and day different, the sophistication of the engineering is way, way beyond what it was in the 70s and 80s. Nevertheless, there are minor variations or... Whoever was building the gearboxes for the team, and the, 
they've only got a limited number for the year. Those engineers would know this is the best of them. Let's say there are six gearboxes, whatever number they've got for the two cars for the year. Out of that, those six gearboxes, there's going to be one which somebody's going to know is this one is absolutely everything about it is perfect. Mm. Well, who should we give that to? Or well, you think well, back to think back to Silverstone twenty. Yes, uh, I remember. 10, yes. with when there was one new front wing. And who did and it go to? Not Weber. Uh, correct. And Mark never forgot that, and he never let the world forget it either. So if you've got a driver who you've just re-signed on a major contract for a long period for a lot of money, and you've got your other number one driver who is not signed and isn't sort of towing the line, as you might want as a team principal... And he's out of contract at the end of, of the year. out of contract at the end of the year. There's seats at Ferrari and so Mercedes. The, 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 all these little differences can appear. And the other thing that inevitably happens in a team, I've felt it sometimes, is if your teammate is quicker than you in qualifying, that tends to focus on that particular driver more than on both drivers. And it takes a very strong team management to control that. So did you feel that with Alan? Or, or was that with Nicky? Or I think that uh, when Alain Prost joined the team, I think that was an unusual circumstances because the team was in a poor-ish position where at the minute Red Bull is a leading team. It's a team that could win many races and arguably might win a world championship. So the parallels aren't quite as clear there. But it, it, in the case of Danny Ricciardo, because his circumstances are he's going to be out of contract at the end of this year, has not negotiated a new contract and is reputedly in conversations with two of the other major teams that they don't know where he's going and they're sitting back and wondering well what are those two other teams going to do with in the case of Mercedes Bottas who did a blinding job Mm. outstanding job I mean to me he was almost the driver of the day I don't know who was nominated Uh, it was Leclerc won it I think yeah I mean that's a that's a sweetheart kind of deal but and justified too but what uh, Bottas did was keep his nose clean and when the opportunity arose, he seized it and he should have won that race and he should have been you know, celebrating 25 points with another couple of whatever he drinks. and uh, He'd have been top of the championship. Well, I mean, that's, that was a gut-wrenching disappointment. That's the first time I've seen... I mean, Scandinavians are not meant to show emotion. I think Valtteri Bottas showed... He showed real, uncharacteristic Finnish emotion. Mm. And understandably, too. I don't know whether what I'm proposing or hypothesizing is the case, but I would like to feel that somebody, somebody, whether it's Helmut Marko, Christian Horner, I don't think Adrian knew he's going to do it because he's purely technical, uh, and I don't think he's a probably a non, uh, he's a non-confrontational kind of man, so he's not going to put him up against the wall and, and you know, explain the facts of life. That's really down to Marko or to Horner, or even maybe even go higher up. What matters it to Dietrich Matasich? I mean, I've, I've I've been having fun with it, as you can well imagine. And <laughs> in one of our leading tabloids, in fact, nearly all newspapers these days are tabloids. You know, in in a fit of peak following watching the Grand Prix on Sunday, I suggested that what Red Bull should do is send him back to the the team he came from, back to Toro Rosso, <laughs> back to Franz Tost. Franz Tost would not tolerate what we saw on Sunday. I mean, it was bad enough. We saw what happened possibly through miscommunication in China with Benden Hartley and, and Pierre Gasly. France is a strict disciplinarian. 
in the best old school British public school flog em, flog em, flog em style. Someone mentioned Daniel Kofiat at the weekend and how he must be looking at it thinking, oh, I got booted out of the team for, you know, for a few things. And then Max comes along and he can do whatever he wants. I, I think, I think like Gil- a younger, like a younger brother that never gets in trouble. Well, I think Kofiat would have reason to feel what he might feel. I don't know if that's what he's feeling, no, but I, I would not be surprised. Because he feels maybe that, you know, I was kicked out to make space for, for Max to come in. Uh, and now in what, four Grand Prix this season, poor performance in Australia, got outmaneuvered by, who's that guy from Denmark? Magnussen, never heard of him. <laughs> we've, that's a joke we've already played. Uh, then spun in turn one, got involved with Lewis. If you're going to take on drivers like Lewis Hamilton, you better have an escape route available to yourself. He's crashed with other drivers in three of four races. He's, he's, he's had contact with not far, far, far too many other drivers. You know, when's it going to stop? And almost now you can imagine, you might have alluded to it, every time he gets into a racing car, he's got to prove further just how capable he is. So, in summary, Daniel Ricciardo, 0% to blame for the crash? There's always a percentage, but it was a, it was a, it was a percentage which was effectively created by Max's move. So Danny made his move. He made the feint to the right. Max covered that. And, I mean, having already done it, he was going to the left because once he had seen Max make the move, he was straight to the left. Max came straight back. But in the process, what he didn't understand was that Ricardo was probably traveling maybe up to 10 kilometers an hour mm-hmm. quicker than him by taking away the air from the front wing, caused him to lose a significant amount of braking effect. Combination of the two, it was an unguided missile. So it wasn't an awful lot Ricardo could do. He had a wall on the left-hand side. There wasn't an awful lot he could do. In, and and these, are, these events are occurring in very, very small oh, yeah. you know, time spans. So it was once the, the door had been closed by Verstappen moving back to the left, it was inevitable what was going to happen. Watty and Jack on F1. Well, let's see whether Max Verstappen can get back on it at the scene of his first ever Grand Prix victory, the next race in Barcelona in Spain. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 